Jesus is greater than our failures. Preparing for this message, I, I remembered something that a preacher said about uh, more than 20 years ago. And it went something like this. That Jesus will do whatever it takes. His grace reaches deeper than our worst mistakes. And his love reaches further than we can run away, my friend. He'll do whatever, whatever it takes. And because of Jesus, our failures are not final. Before we progress, I want us to focus in on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Because all of us, every single one of us, have failed. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. All of us have failed, and all of us will sometime in the future will fail. The trouble is when we get the mindset that we are in some way immune to failure. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Another verse that we have to mention also, all of these verses, especially this one is verses that you want to hide in your heart when you encounter failures. It's one that you might bring up after you've failed. Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Our failures are not final because Jesus can redeem anything. And things are definitely not good at the time. But Jesus has the ability to take the junk in our lives and to bring good out of it. Thinking about failures and fa failures in the Bible one person that immediately came to my mind and, and maybe he comes to your mind is uh, Judas. Judas, Judas Iscariot. Mark chapter 14 verse 10 says, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. One of the 12 apostles. See, you're, you're probably aware that Jesus had a massive crowd that followed him everywhere. And a lot of them were kind of there for the show, for the free bread, whenever Jesus handled it out. But among them, among the crowd, there were some disciples that followed Jesus, and they were quite a bit more dedicated than the crowd. And from those disciples, Jesus stayed up all night praying and picked 12 of them and made them apostles and Judas Iscariot was among the 12. Matthew, Mark, and Luke is what's known as the synoptic 
Gospels, partly because they are very similar in their content. John is kind of a renegade. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books in the New Testament. John kind of goes his own way. Very fun uh, book to read. See different insights that John pulls out where maybe Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they list the uh, apostles. And they're very similar in their listing. You have Peter is always at the beginning, though the lists differ because some, peop- some of them mention apostles by a different name. It was common in that day to have several different names. You would have an Aramaic name. You'd have a Hebrew name. You would have a Greek name. But all the list of the apostles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke have Peter at the beginning and then Judas at the end. And it always goes something as Judas the betrayer, Judas the betrayer, or Judas the traitor. But that's, I believe, a term called foreshadowing, if I've got that right. English teachers, I hope that's correct. Or also found out it's authorian intrusion. It's that where the author of the story talks directly to the readers. See, there was nothing in Judas that would make you go, oh, he's going to be the traitor. He's going to be the one who betrays Jesus. There was nothing in Judas to make you think that. The point of the apostles is that for they were to be with Jesus. Also, the apostles were to be sent out to preach. Jesus also gave them the ability to cast out demons and to heal. There is no indication that Judas Iscariot was any less of an apostle than someone like Peter. That Judas was an apostle like all the rest. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, that they should report it, that they might arrest him where he was privately because Jesus by day would would teach crowds would gather around him but they did want to arrest Jesus when the crowds were around him because they feared that the people might riot so they wanted to find some secret place that they might arrest him and Judas being one of the 12 knew exactly where that was and Luke chapter 22 verse 3 says this then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple garden, discussed with them how he might betray Jesus, and they offered him 30 pieces of silver. Now, Satan entered Judas. And if you track Judas throughout the Gospels, when he gets close to the end of his final betrayal of Jesus, we hear that term mentioned quite a bit. 
But James chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So in order for Satan to enter Judas, he had to allow him to take up residence in his heart. The Judas failed to resist Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, when we were at Summer in the Sun with middle school and high school, one of the preachers explained that verse in a way that I had never thought about before. And he mentioned, when a lion is on the hunt, is he roaring? No, he's not. He's quiet. He's stealth. You remember the Lion King? July 19th, he'll be in the theaters. <laughs> but in the Lion King, when Simba is having his pouncing lesson, he's quiet. And then he pounces. Satan knows that we are so stupid that when he's hunting after us, he's going, Roar! I'm coming to get you. And we're like, okay. He's like, look at this. Hey, Christian, follow this. Oh, forget about your quiet time. Look at that. Let me follow. And we do it blindly. Satan we, knows how we're tempted. We know what our weaknesses are, but we just follow along. And so that's why he, he roars while he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. We just fall for it. As Judas did. Judas knew the perfect spot. The garden on the Mount of Olives. Luke 21, 37 says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. This was the last few days of Jesus' life here on earth. That would be a perfect spot, kind of a semi-private area. The crowd's not there. And Judas, being one of the twelve, knew exactly where to go. And John chapter 13 verse 1 sets the scene. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come and for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted, here again, the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up, and why doesn't the scripture say, so he got up and ran away? Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And Jesus knew exactly who was going to betray him. And truthfully, Jesus knew from the time that he chose Judas that Judas was going to ultimately betray him. Now, some people will say, well, Judas didn't have any choice. But when I read the account, 
I see time after time where Jesus tried to reach out. And though Judas in some way may have been destined to betray Jesus, it doesn't mean that he couldn't have come back to Jesus after he failed. Because we know that through Jesus, our failures are not final. And so what does Jesus do knowing that everything is under his power and control? He got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So you mean that Jesus washed Judas's feet? Yes, he did. Let me tell you something else about Judas. Judas had, was a privileged apostle in that he was the treasurer of the group. And also at, at this last supper meal that this scene is set, it was Judas who had the seat of honor at the table. Another way that it seems like Jesus is trying to reach out to Judas. So his failure is not final. And so after washing everybody's feet, Jesus revealed that he is troubled in spirit. And he says, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to which one that he meant. They were very sad and began to say to him and to one another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And then in Matthew chapter 26, verse 25, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Now all the other 11 apostles said, surely not I, Lord. Judas says, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. Rabbi was a term that people would use to address Jesus if they were strangers and if they were enemies. Surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus answered, you have said so. Everyone else called Jesus Lord. Jesus, Jesus calls him rabbi. But still, Jesus' response, if you have said so, was still vague enough. Again, there was nothing in Judas for people to think, yeah, he's the guy. Though he would take money from the coffers and use it on himself, there was still no indication that Judas was going to be the person to betray Jesus. In John chapter 13, verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. 
Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. Strange things happen at night. And because as one uh, betrayer leaves the room, there's another betrayer, a denier, that emerges. In John 13, 31, Jesus starts out by saying this. When he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and he will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. With this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Be careful when you stand, lest you fall, Peter. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, how many times does Jesus have to lay it out to Peter? I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says this, Simon, Simon. Jesus is trying to get Peter's attention. Because you remember that Jesus changed Simon Peter's, Simon's name to Peter, but trying to get his attention, Jesus goes back to Simon. Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Peter, Peter, listen. Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. 
Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny him three times that you know me. To deny means, I had to look it up, to state that something declared or believed to be true is not true. It's to refuse to recognize or acknowledge, disown, disavow, repudiate, which means to cast off or disown. Now, I don't know about you, but betray, which is to deliver or expose to an enemy by treachery or disloyalty, to me, deny and betray have a lot in common. What's that saying, thou dost protest too much? That's one of the things I'm going to ask Peter in heaven because he really lays it on. Even Peter, kind of getting a hold of my, getting ahead of myself, but even Peter and Acts really lays it thick on Judas. I'm saying, sorry, Peter, betrayal, denial, they're both failures. So Matthew 26, verse 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas. Because now the betrayer, this is Judas in Matthew 26, verse 48. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. See, Judas had brought some of the temple guards. He had also brought a detachment of 600 soldiers with him to arrest Jesus. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, greetings, or Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him and kept on kissing him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for. He said, do what you came for, friend. Judas was given honor among the apostles as the treasure. Judas was placed in the seat of honor during the Last Supper. At the very point of betrayal, Jesus calls him friend. I think Jesus is trying to get across to Judas that on the track that he is headed, he doesn't have to go that way. That though in some way he may be destined to betray Jesus, it's already happened. They, he, they're there. They're going to arrest him. That perhaps he wants Judas to realize that our failures do not have to be final. And so they arrest Jesus. And they take him away. Then all the disciples desert him and flee. Matthew 26, 57 says that those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. He's warming himself by the fire in the courtyard. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. 
Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know this man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. We have two individuals in the throes of failure. Pay attention to what happens to them next. Early in the morning, Matthew 27, verse 1, the scene now shifts back to Judas. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Judas saw no hope. Judas saw no failure, no savior. All he saw was his failure. Because, G, because Judas didn't understand that Jesus would do whatever it takes. He didn't understand that his grace can reach deeper than our worst mistakes. He didn't understand that his love can reach further than we can run away, my friend. Because Jesus will do whatever, whatever it takes. And though the scene is closed on Judas, we have Peter. He leaves, he runs out, weeps bitterly. But he manages to join the rest of the apostles up in the upper room. They're there for fear of the Jews. The doors are locked, it's closed. And then sometime early Sunday morning, the women go out to the tomb and there's nobody there. And the angels say something to them. 
Very interesting. It says, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed on a, in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not there. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Perhaps in the same way that Jesus tried to reach out to Judas, Jesus, through the angel, is reaching out to Peter. And so apparently the women went and told the apostles and Peter, and the Peter rushed to the tomb with John and they see that the tomb is empty and they come back and they're, they're still not sure what happens. Then later that night, again, the room is locked, the upper room is locked, but there appears Jesus before them and he, and he shows them his hands and his side and they have seen the risen Lord. And he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his names to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And what's Peter do? He would, this is just what I find humorous. He's told to stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. And then Peter says, I'm going fishing. That's what it, John chapter 21, verse 3. It says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. <laughs> so, all right. So, so they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in a boat, followed towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals where the fish, with fish on and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now comes the difficult task of reinstating Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and all indications point to 
that it's Jesus and Peter and all the other apostles that are there. And Simon said of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. We're witnessing a failure being restored by Jesus. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And now Jesus drive home, drives home the point. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. He got the point. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. And follow Jesus, Peter does. Preaching the first gospel message on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 are added to the number that day. As a side note, to me that's one of the, the reasons why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because how else can a person like Peter, who would even acknowledge that he knows Jesus be miraculously changed to publicly preaching the gospel of the resurrected Lord. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Look for the way out. It is there. You do not have to go headlong into temptation. You don't have to go headlong into failure. The way out is there. But if you do fail... Know that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. When talking about repentance, think about verses like Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And think about verses like 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1, 9 is one of those verses that I'm sad to say in the failures in my life that I've had to hide in my heart because it tells me that my failures are not final and neither are yours. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now that might not make any sense 
to us. But that's the point, isn't it? Of Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. To trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Your failures are not final. Because Jesus is greater than our failures.